Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Coffee and Football, presented by Rick Bobro and Austin Underground. I'm your host, Blake Monroe, where I'm joined each and every morning by Bobby Burton and C.J. Vogel. And before we begin, we love hearing where you guys are from, so please check in in the chat. Let us know. It's always exciting to see where everybody is around the world tuning in, so please do that. And uh, guys, let's start with the team heading off to New Orleans yesterday. They departed Austin in early afternoon. C.J., I know you got a little note on that. I'm going to let you share with folks. Yeah, I got word from, you know, folks inside the buses as they departed for the airport from Moncrief in Austin uh, at the send-off party yesterday around 11, 15, 11.30. Obviously, a, a great crowd from the Texas faithful showing out and supporting their team as they departed for the Sugar Bowl. I was told the team was very appreciative of it. They loved the support. They liked, you know, seeing just how much of the Longhorn faithful came out and and to wish them goodbye as they uh, departed for New Orleans. And then, obviously, as they landed, there's another slew of uh, of Longhorn fans out there, obviously a lot more media members, and some, you know, New Orleans uh, twist to it as well, a little uh, uh, Cajun, you know, spice, if you will, added to the arrival. Uh, Christian Jones was actually the Longhorn first off the plane. He held a, a Longhorn flag as he departed, and, and that was – I was told it was a little bit of a uh, – uh, a congratulations, Christian, kind of moment for him. You know, uh, one of the veteran guys on this this Longhorn team has been around through thick and thin, obviously, prior to Steve Sarkeesian's arrival. And uh, he was given, you know, kind of the the uh, the nod of the cap from the Texas staff to say, here you go. Go lead the team off the plane. Carry the flag. And, uh, and, and, and thank you for what you've done to this program. And let's get, you know, keep going and, and get this job finished completely. So pretty cool deal. And you know, to Christian Jones, I'm sure it meant a, a whole lot. Definitely. And then, Bobby, once the once the coaches arrived there in New Orleans, they had some press conferences, and uh, Sark included, obviously. What were some of your major takeaways from his press conference? Uh, Sark was typical Sark. I mean, he's really kind of cool, calm, and collected for the most part. Uh, tries to emphasize a few things in each presser, I think. Uh, the ones that I took uh, notes on yesterday, and I know you've chopped up some of the video from it, uh, Blake, for people to rehear it. Uh, but he talked about the game plan, uh, guys, and where uh, and when Texas kind of instituted the game plan. That was a week ago uh, prior to them leaving for Christmas. Uh, then he talked about how the team needs to – it has been focused and needs to remain calm uh, and focused during the game because, you know, there's going to be big times and they got to just keep their focus. And then the last thing I, I, I wrote down is they have to meet adversity head on. Uh, and that, you know, big games have big moments and they're not always going to go your way. Washington's going to make plays period that they're not, they're 13 and zero for a reason. Texas though is 12 and one for a reason too. And so they have to meet adversity head on and then overcome it. Um, which is, I think a, a great, you know, a, a great conversation for all of us, really. I mean, in any line of, of business or work. Uh, that's what you want to do. And so I, I felt like Sark was typical Sark, you know, pretty straightforward, uh, not over the top on any one particular thing, uh, but uh, just a, a good all around uh, press conference. Kellen DeBoer was also at the, the mic yesterday as Washington arrived as well. Uh, the Longhorns, I think it's important. Uh, they will meet with the media, Xavier Worthy, Jalen Ford. They'll meet with the media around 945 today. We'll have footage from that on on Texas football for you guys. Uh, also, uh, I would say this, um, uh, you know, Texas practices, I believe, at the Dome at around 2 o'clock. 
That is not available or open to the public for anybody that's in New Orleans. Uh, it's only media for the first 10, 15 minutes. Uh, but uh, I would reiterate something I was told yesterday and the day before. Texas is very healthy right now uh, heading into it. Uh, the team had position meetings yesterday morning before getting on the bus and going. They had some walkthrough stuff yesterday uh, that they worked on once they got in. Uh, now the rest of their days are going to be dealing with media uh, and going to practice and then dealing with uh, nighttime events that are customary of bowl games like the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, no doubt that injury note is very important, Bobby, as it's been a very long time since the team's been, you know, about 100% healthy. Yeah, I, I think that's a big piece of it. Um, if, if Look, people have asked about Xavier Worthy over and over again. I think he's fine. Uh, I do think that he had a ginger ankle, uh, you know, coming out of the uh, Oklahoma State game. Uh, but I think that's that's had time to heal. The big piece for me, and I think that, that what people are asking about or talking about that is relevant, is how does Texas and how does uh, how does Texas and how does uh, uh, Washington keep their uh, their consistency, their rhythm coming after a one almost a whole month worth of latency and not practicing against heavy. Uh, one of the things Sark talked about yesterday was exactly that. You know, hey, we went good on good, uh, but we couldn't, we didn't sit there and knock each other's teeth in the dirt. You know what I mean? Um, and so keeping that consistency through that, that, uh, and that rhythm through this whole month, I think it may be problematic for both teams early in the game. I expect them to get better as the game wears on them. Sure. And then, of course, as you said, Kalen DeBoer did meet with the media and he had quite the praise uh, for Quinn Ewers. And I got that clip right here and we'll play it real quick. But he he had I mean, he was very uh, well, you can just hear well, it for yourself. I, I think the the thing you see is that he's had continual growth from a year ago. Um, and that's not just uh, Quinn, but also just the rest of the team, um, you know, and. He, along with his skill group, uh, are in, in sync. You can see that uh, they're executing an extremely high level. Um, I think he just his command of the offense uh, has continued to improve uh, from a year ago. And so, you know, we're expecting a, a, a much different football team than we saw, which was very good football team even a year ago. And so, um, you know, he's protected. Uh, he understands. I think just from a from a football sense, um, you know, it's another year into your career. And so been been very impressed. He can deliver the ball, put it wherever he wants. And, uh, you know, we'll have we know we'll have our hands full, um, you know, trying to slow uh, Quinn and the offense down. Yeah, it's it's clear that they have uh, Kellen DeBoer is a. Uh, has some respect for the Texas offense. Um, I watched the rest of that presser. Uh, He's got some confidence in his own team as well. He should. Uh, so, uh, look, the Texas still favored in this game uh, by uh, Vegas, uh, but not by the ESPN stats, folks. Uh, they still say that there's a fifty. I think a fifty-three percent chance that Washington wins this game. Uh, so uh, we'll see exactly what that means and how that all plays out. But it should tell you that this game is essentially a toss-up. That we can go into all the data and all the reasons and. Um, you know, pick everything apart. But at the end of the day, whoever plays better on Monday, that's the team that's advancing to, the, to play for the national championship.
And you can, I can see it going either way, and I think anybody can, you know. So it's it's going to be a good one for sure. Well, another bowl game that was played last night, Bobby, <laughs> that uh, had quite a few players missing <laughs> was the Texas A&M and Oklahoma State. We've already got comments, a lot of comments about it here in the chat. Um, and ugly <laughs> might be the best word to describe it. I, I don't know. It was. I mean, what you can't really judge AM when they only had 55 scholarship players available. Can you? No, and, and they lost their quarterback on the first play of the game. Yeah. The, the one that they had been uh, thinking was going to start, the Javon Henderson, or one who did start, Javon Henderson. Marcel Reed, a freshman, came in, uh, played admirably, but doesn't look like he has the arm strength to really be a, a threat long-term in the SEC, to my, in my opinion. Uh, I, I, would, I would add this. Uh, about that game because I watched it. A uh, and M just couldn't move the, couldn't run the ball much at all all game long. That means they were relying on a freshman quarterback. Um, the A and M receivers are okay, but they're not, not. None of them scare you, if that makes sense. I mean, Moose Muhammad is pretty good, but he's more of a possession guy than he is a deep threat. I, I don't know that any of the the A and M receivers really scare you going forward, especially without Evan Stewart. Uh, apparently next year for them. Um, I would add this, uh, and, and CJ, I'd like to get your feel on it. A&M took a lot of young DBs last year. Javon Thomas, uh, Bravion Rogers, um, uh, young man out of uh, Shiner, Dalton Brooks. Of that group, I really only saw one that said, hey, this guy's going to be something long-term. And that was Dalton Brooks. I mean, I, Bravion Rogers got... I mean, he he did he looked out of place. Um, uh, Javion Thomas, not big enough against the the, and they just I mean, Alan Bowman and o, o, OSU just literally picked on them all night long. They just threw 50-50 balls, yeah. and A and M couldn't handle it. Uh, the the interesting piece is they clearly have something going on defense. They have some players. That secondary though still remains. A big old fat question mark, um, in my opinion. I mean, they those young guys aren't going to be ready next year for them. Maybe Dalton Brooks will be. I think he's a future NFL guy. The rest of them, I, they're going to have problems in the secondary again next year. Would be my guess. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. And this is an Oklahoma State team whose real identity was relying on Ollie Gordon throughout most of the season to get big chunk plays through the ground, and then using the offense as a complementary weapon. Uh, not necessarily the forefront of how they move the ball offensively. So when Ollie Gordon, who, you know, wasn't necessarily getting a whole lot of uh, rushing room, I think he had one yard or one carry over 20 yards and then, uh, you know, probably negated that with a personal foul right after that for unsportsmanlike conduct. But that that, that was, wasn't was really the uh, the approach for Oklahoma State last night. Obviously, we saw Rashad Owens and, and, uh, and, and who is it, Brennan? Who I'm I'm Brandon losing Presley. the name of this. Brandon Presley. Presley, yes, Brandon Presley on the opposite side. The 50-50 balls were there all night. Rashad Owens, especially. I thought he was tremendous. Uh well over 150 receiving yards last night, a couple touchdowns. I mean, it it it, it didn't seem fair at the at, at points because it just looked so easy on these uh go routes on the outside for for Alan Bowman, who seemingly at the end of that game tried to give it away a few times, but but to you know the Oklahoma State defensive credit, it, it you know kind of preserved the lead. I actually liked what I saw from Marcel Reed. I thought for a, a freshman stepping in, there was some moments of 
all right, you know, he can get the job done at times, but obviously a young quarterback, uh, Bobby, you mentioned the arm strength, something that will have to improve. I'm not sure if he's going to be, you know, enough to dethrone Connor Wegman, who in my opinion is a very good quarterback. So uh, uh, all around a, a pretty, I don't want to call it sloppy, but an in- interesting game at the least from both teams. And, and I don't, I don't know, man, like I thought, I thought at the Aggies for their defense to be the, the, uh, Focal point, uh, they look bad on defense. I thought they looked like they were, uh, you know, attackable by air pretty easily. Uh, Clearly not ready for the hurry-up style, by the way, uh, of Oklahoma State. Totally caught off guard. Um, You know, Jimbo Fisher just did them a disservice. I I don't know how else to say that. I mean, not only did he – they have to end up paying him 70-something million dollars. I mean, he just did not – I don't know whether it was lack of discipline or letting the uh, uh, the inmates run the asylum, so to speak, there, or what the issue is. But they they just don't have any kind of um, um, camaraderie is not the word, right word. I mean, culture may be the right word, actually. They just lack it entirely. I would add this. Rashad Owens, CJ, for as good a game as he had, he had three or four other balls that hit him in the chest or in the hands that he could have another hundred yards for. Yeah. I mean, so it wasn't like that, that 150 was, oh, wow, he had an unbelievable game. He had a good game and made some tough catches. Yeah, I mean, he could have been 250. Brennan Presley, the Aggies still don't know how to um, defend the bubble screen. So I, I it, in, in Oklahoma State missed a field goal uh, late to even give the Aggies a chance to, to stay within one score. So, I don't think the the final score thirty one to twenty three was necessarily indicative of really the difference in that game. Oklahoma State controlled that game from about midway through the first quarter on. Yeah, I was impressed with Elko in the booth, though. I thought he was better than the two announcers that <laughs> <laughs> the game. To be honest, <laughs> I think I just slide right in the booth, take that easy money. Yeah, I think he does. He definitely is is a smart a smart a smart coach. We'll see if he can put everything together in one place. That that's going to be my question for Mike Elko. It's a big step up from Duke to Texas A and M in the expectation levels. All right, Bobby. Before we move on and get to questions, and by the way, plenty of time to get your questions in, so please do so. Tell folks out there about Rick Bobro and Austin Underground. Yeah, absolutely. Since 2004, Rick and his team at Austin Underground have specialized in difficult underground commercial installations. The team's engineering background gives Austin Underground the ability to perform work other firms often just consider too risky. Rick and his team offer an end-to-end client experience, including seamless communication, budgeting, staffing, and top-notch trade partners. And most importantly, they produce solid quality work each and every time. That's Austin Underground. Uh, Give Rick and his team a call if you have anything, any big projects going on that require underground commercial installations. I want to thank them for sponsoring each and every Thursday right here on Coffee and Full. And let's jump right into it. We got a super chat to open it up with in Tubman, Texas. Thank you, sir. He says, good morning. Sark's opening script will be nasty. <laughs> let's hope. Yeah. <laughs> CJ, what do you think, bud? No, it, I, I'm almost to the point where it has to be. We've talked about Washington starting hot. You can't allow them to get out to a lead. 
uh, a double-digit lead at that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with it. He's done very well the last two games. If that carries over, I like Texas's chances to be up in the first half. They got it. They have to, to your point, they have to, to thwart Washington's quick, quick start. If Sark can do that with his uh, own script of sorts, uh, that would be very that, 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 that'll play a big role. Uh, there's a lot of questions out here that, that I mean, this one's a good one too, Blake, that I just love. You know, who are your players of the game on offense, defense, special teams, keys to the game? There's just so many different questions we, we, can, we can get to, but this kind of encapsulates all of them. CJ, is there a guy on offense? Like, I feel like Quinn Ewers has to have a great game, but then one of the two receivers, either Mitchell or Worthy, have to have that game that's kind of above and beyond their average. I mean, above and beyond just good. They have to, One of those two, I think, is going to have to have a great game for Texas to win. Yeah, I'm with you there. I actually mentioned it to Rod last night on the live stream. It, it has to be either Kelvin Banks or Christian Jones for me. If you can not, not, not the receivers? No. Not, like, no, not the receivers? I'll, I'll explain it because I, I'm very certain on this. If you neutralize Braylon Trice, there's not another guy on that Washington defense who can get to the quarterback consistently. Braylon Trice has more pressures alone than the next three leading pressure uh, getters from the Washington defense combined. That, to me, tells me if you take away one, the head of the snake, the rest of the snake can't attack. And I'm looking at, you know, the, the the rest of that edge team and the interior line doesn't create a lot of pressures at all. None of them have double-digit pressures on the on the year, according to Pro Football Focus. So Braylon Trice is really that one threat to me where if you neutralize him and Quinn Ewers is able to sustain a clean pocket for most of the night, he will distribute the football to J- Jordan Winnington, Jatavian Sanders, A.D. Mitchell, uh, out of the backfield to the running backs, and obviously Xavier Worthy. It's all about keeping him clean and unpressured. If he's able to do that, the ball will find who it needs to get to. And I think Texas will have a good day offensively as a result. But if Braylon tries, is able to create pressure, and Texas has to then adjust, uh, you know, kind of the, the blocking patterns and allow other guys one-on-one opportunities that they normally would not, that's when things get a little dicey for me on the offensive line. Taking care of Braylon Trice wins you the football game on the offensive side of the ball. He is number – if y'all are wanting to know about him, he is number – he's going to be number eight on the uh, Washington defense. What about on 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 the defensive side of the ball? Is there anybody in particular you're thinking has to have a great game? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give mine. Mine is Jalen Ford because he's going to be the guy that's going to be in constant conflict between stopping the run and the back end of the defense and coordinating the the two aspects of it, right? That's the guy who last year I didn't think actually had a great Alamo Bowl, even though he had eight tackles in the loss. I felt like he could have have seen and done more in that game. But Washington does a great great job of putting those linebackers in conflict in the first place. Is there a player on defense, CJ, where you feel like, hey, this dude needs to step up? Yeah, it's Michael Taft. and we've talked about the Texas safeties and how well they need to play and how often they will be targeted by the Washington offense. Michael Taff is one of those guys that you don't see in the box too often. He is that back deep safety, uh, that, that free safety, if you will, in terms of just don't let anything behind you. And he's been rewarded at times this year. Obviously you look at the Houston game, the overthrow in the end zone ended up being a pretty, uh, 
pretty valuable play for the Longhorns in terms of that victory. He's a hustle guy. We've talked about the Baylor stop at the line of scrimmage heading into the end zone and obviously the interception against Kansas State to start the second half. We've seen him be rewarded for his hustle. Now we need to see him be rewarded for being in the right place at the right time and not allowing things to get behind him because we know that Washington offense is going to be targeting that safety group. It's Michael Taft. All right, guys, we got a question here from Mark, and he says that his question for y'all is, in the context of a 30-day layoff and execution, which side of the ball, offense or defense, has an advantage on execution, timing, et cetera? I think defense, no no questions asked, because this, you can't uh, contextualize the speed of the game on offense, just running routes against air, or even against, you know, in thud tempo. You can't. And that's why one of the reasons why I think Texas played well at the end of the year is Quinn Ewers finally got that down, right? And now you've had a week, um, a month off. Uh, so I think it, it favors the the defense early in games like this, especially now. I will say this, especially for passing offenses, mm-hmm. rushing dominated offenses. I do not agree with that. Like Michigan and Alabama that are run oriented, they're going to look okay early in a game. All right. I think the passing game will heat up midway through the first through probably the third quarter. And then we'll start seeing a tightening of screws, so to speak, on on what the other team is is trying to do. Um, I want to get back to this and and ask about special teams, too, because that that last comment that we had got has gotten me thinking. I've been thinking about this. Burt Auburn has to have a great game. No free points given away. Yep. So, you know, Texas gets a 52-yard field, field goal attempt. I, I know it's it's asking a lot, but they need to make it, right? Um, no free points given away. Uh, and then I, I look at special teams, and I'm thinking Keelan Robinson, Ryan Sanborn, uh, the punter, the, the the gunner, and then Keaton Crawford. Those are your those are your guys. Maybe Xavier Worthy in a kick or in a punt return opportunity. Um Washington doesn't punt an awful lot, as we know. Uh, but my point being, you know, special teams, if you can win on fourth down, Texas, if if offenses are going to be both good, which we think they will be, if you can win on fourth down, that could be the thing that pushes the game in your in your direction, as opposed to somebody else's. I'm Speaking of, uh, oh, go ahead, TJ, go ahead. No, it, on the, the Sanborn part and the Gunners, turning a 50-yard a punt and 40 yards, that builds up. You know, making Washington go that extra first down to get down into the end zone, that is very key for me. The free yards, the free points that you mentioned, Bobby, those add up over time, and you can't keep giving those away if you want to be a national champion. Uh, Mike Gundy, two weeks ago, or three weeks ago now, talked about how Texas was 300-plus yards over its opponent opponents on the year. Yep. Okay. That's that's roughly 30 yards a game. You know, to 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 CJ and to CJ's point, that's making Michael Penix complete two more passes. You know, one more, one more big run. I mean, yes, he can he has a big arm and all this other stuff. But my point being that little nudge, right? That that little bit in a tight game can be extremely meaningful. I'm actually, I was, while y'all were talking about special teams, I was looking up some stats here. In kick return defense, Washington is 11th in the nation. Texas is not in the top 50. Punt return defense, Washington is also 11th in the nation. Texas, 38. 
On kickoff returns, Texas is 49th in the nation, Washington 50th. So but both teams basically both teams basically try to and look, that's why they're 13 and 0 and 12 and 1. I mean, right? That this is a, this is a, a really I think it's an evenly matched team, a group of teams. Um, yes, I think Texas ha- may have more overall depth and talent, but Washington has more experienced talent at quarterback in particular. Adunze is as good as any receiver on the field. Um, they've got an explosive offense. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, look, if I knew how this game was going to go, I'd tell you. I don't. I, I, I genuinely don't. I th- I've got a feel for it, and I think it's going to be a fourth-quarter game where uh, whoever has the ball last is going to have a chance to win the game. That that is, I don't think it's going to be this three score game, uh, like some people have have talked about, either one way or the other. I, I feel like this is going to be a tight one that's going to come down to the wire in New Orleans. Well, Bobby, we have a Michigan fan in the chat, and uh, <laughs> Seth Floyd says Washington is going to have a tough time keeping up with the speed of Texas receivers. If Ewers doesn't turn the ball over, he does have Texas by three touchdowns because he doesn't think Washington's going to be able to keep up. So. There's some people out there that are confident for Texas, but I'm, I'm with you. I think it's going to be a close one. Look, Oregon has speed at receiver. I mean, they're not slow at receiver. And they did okay against them. Um, Oregon made it a game late because they actually started getting the receivers more involved than they were able to early. Um, but uh, I, I, I do think Texas has speed, and that should be a, an advantage. Uh, but again, uh you know, it, it, this is a game of two teams that are really good. You know, anything else, you wouldn't expect anything else. I, you know, you're, you're happy to be here. Certainly if you're Texas and Washington, you're in the college football playoff, you play for this the whole year, but you understand that the other team across from you, they're pretty good too. Yep. And you got to give them their respect. All right, guys, well, we're going to take some more questions right here on Coffee and Football, presented by Rick Bobro and Austin Underground. And uh, Specker54 says, on the flip side of the last comment, Washington's pass game scares the hell out of me. But we're so much more of a complete team, I'm starting to feel pretty confident. I think it scares a lot of people. No, <laughs> so, I'd agree with that. Yeah. And then MJF, you've told us that Washington likes to run wide. If Sweat's job is to push Washington's undersized center into the backfield every play, well, we move Murphy out to a three gap to disrupt off tackle runs. It sounds great on paper. Washington's been great at hiding their center in the run game with pulling guards and tackles. You know, the pinch and pull uh, on the outside run with the tight end coming down to pinch the outside and the tight end to waterfall over the top creates, you know, kind of that extra blocker in space, uh, a, a good blocker at that with the offensive tackle. So they do a great job. They pulled multiple uh, offensive linemen often uh, you'll see the center pulled all sorts of combinations with the center guard uh, center tackle guard tackle everything that you can imagine they have it and they've shown it against Oregon Texas will have to uh, obviously prove it and and, and and defend it in multiple ways uh, the thing like I, I mentioned earlier is you know Parker Brailsford the center is only 290 295 pounds he is undersized by that metric however you would have thought at some point this year, another team with a big defensive tackle would have said, all right, let's let's pair them up with one another and let's you know get into the backfield. That hasn't necessarily happened, especially in a passing game where only four sacks have been allowed by this offensive line. So that's 
again, in theory, it's tremendous. Yeah, we got a guy that's 365, the Outland Award-winning trophy, uh, trophy winner. Just put him, line him up right off outside the uh, that 290-pound center and let him work. It doesn't work like that. They hide him very well. They send help very well to him as well. And again, I've mentioned it last night. The two guys to his right and left, the the offensive guard, uh, you know, Julius Bulo and Nate Kalepo, those are the two biggest guys on the offensive line. That help and that chip is a, you know, they didn't do that by accident. That's by design. They help and they chip and, and they ensure that that center who was the backup coming into the season is not at a mismatch or, or you know, uh, prone to be uh, really just picked apart. I would add this, you know, you mentioned about moving Murphy out to a three. What about moving Alfred Collins out to five? Yeah. Uh, for that, we talked about that a little bit and in, in with Rod and you, CJ. What, what do you think about moving and, and going in with that bigger lineup against the run and then possibly having almost doing, looking looking with Baron Sorrell being the fourth down guy, right? Uh, along our fourth, fourth, four down, one of the four down players alongside Alfred Collins out at the five technique. You, you think that Texas will show some of that? They did that at times throughout the year in, in certain situations, especially against Baylor, right? And it really showed some value there. Baylor loves to run outside. Um, I will say this, uh, Washington runs it a little bit differently than Baylor. Uh, Baylor's more of that outside zone. Washington's more of a to your point, pen and pull type of situation on the outside. Um, do you think that would help Texas? Or do you think that's going to help Texas having the flexibility to do that in certain situations? Yeah, absolutely. I think early on in the game, it will be good for Texas to show that. Obviously, last year we saw Texas play with a light box in fear of the deep pass, you know, essentially saying, Washington, if you're going to beat us, beat us with the run. And that's ultimately what they did. This year, I'm much more confident that the Texas rush defense will stand up uh, in comparison to what they did last year. Obviously, 160 yards, almost five and a half, six yards per carry. That's been a number that Texas hasn't seen given up by their rushing defense all season long, essentially. So I'm looking at that big defensive line as a way to say, yeah, we're still going to play with a light box, but we're now going to have almost a thousand pounds worth of defensive linemen that you're going to have to push around for you to get any type of true running lane in your attack offensively for Washington. So I like that attack. Obviously, you need speed on obvious passing downs, third and long, uh, you know, second and long. I like the the flexibility it provides. You can move Collins inside, uh, take Sweater Murphy off, add Baron Sorrell or Ethan Burke on the outside as well. And obviously you have Anthony Hill, who Rod pointed out last night, five sacks on the year, and four of them have come against Alabama, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State. So big games. He's deployed much more differently than against, you know, a, a Baylor, Iowa State, somewhere where you don't necessarily need to show off the Ferrari because you know eventually he will get you past the finish line regardless of the speed that he goes. All right, guys, this next question here is from Hair Trigger. And Hair Trigger says, do you all think Washington will go hurry up on offense to try and throw off the D-line from disrupting Michael Penix? I don't think so. I, I've thought about this. It makes no sense for them to do that. That's not who they are. Um, it hasn't been all year. They don't, I don't see them shying from who they are. You know, I, I, I see them just trying to be who they've always been. Yes, and CJ, you mentioned this. They'll line up quickly, but then they'll motion seven times just like Sark does. 
you know, to try to discombobulate the defense. They're not about going fast. They're about getting to the line of scrimmage fast so they can identify the defense early. Yep. Not necessarily going fast. All right. Before we move on to some more questions, guys, I know that y'all are both out or planning to go on the road here, uh, here pretty soon, actually. Tell folks where you're going. CJ, I'm going to start with you as I know you're heading out far east. <laughs> yeah, I'm head to the Sunshine State and the 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 bright or I guess the dim nights of of, of winter. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, headed out to the Under Armour All American Game and their practices out this weekend. Seven Longhorns out there uh, participating. Uh, Jarrett Gibson and Daniel Cruz on offense. Xavier Philsmi, Kobe Black, Jordan Johnson, Rubel uh, in the defensive secondary, and obviously Colin Simmons and Zena Umiazulu uh, in the defensive line. So. Lots of Longhorn talent, and then, man, after that, headed straight to New Orleans, and after New Orleans, we're headed to San Antonio for the All-American Bowl. Trey Wingo, or uh, sorry, Trey Owens, Ryan Wingo, and Michael Kern out there. So lots of Longhorns to be seen. I'm looking, <laughs> really looking to, uh, for, you know, getting to see and talk to a lot of these guys once again uh, now that they have inked their pledge and their their signature to the Longhorns. We'll, 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 try, to get, we'll try to get CJ to get a couple of those guys on, on camera for us. Uh, while he's out there this weekend, uh, too. Uh, I'm headed over to New Orleans later today, uh, ready to get going. Uh, you will not see this background for the next four or five days. It'll be a different one. Uh, I am going to bring all my hats, though. Just uh, I'm a little superstitious, so I bring them all with me everywhere. I'm kidding. I don't bring them all. I bring I, br I bring more than one, though, for sure. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm ready to get going. Uh, hey, people, let, let's tell people a little bit about this here. I think this is uh, there's a lot of folks going um, uh, to New Orleans this weekend. And I want to tell people about this because I've done this and it's absolutely the truth. Uh, really MJF cool. morning, if you haven't yet, went in NOLA and have extra time, go visit the National War, War, World War II Museum. It's incredible. Yep. Could not agree more. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm a little bit of a history buff, but I'm not overwrought with it. You know, I, it's one of the things I'm more about sports history. That's kind of always been my thing, right? This is a, an unbelievable museum. It really is. Um, if you do have time, you show up on Saturday sometime, go there for an hour or two, just whatever you can to soak it in. It's one of the best museums, in my opinion, I've ever oh, yeah. been to overall. Like not just, you know, been to the Holocaust Museum in, in D.C., uh, been to the Gary in, in uh, L.A., where it's just kind of just unbelievable. Uh, but I, I'm, I are, are the Getty, excuse me. I, I feel like uh, it is one of those places that everybody should go to if you get a chance. Uh, it's, it's, it's just tremendous. Sorry, I was muted there. Uh, well, since, since we're talking about that, we're going to ask this question from Captain Americano. <laughs> beignets or king cake? You got to say it right. It's beignet. Beignets, excuse me. Beignets, come on no, now. I butcher everything, Bobby. If it's not West Texas, I butcher it. I, I, we, I got a list. Um, I got a list from uh, Joe Diaz, who's the head of the, the New Orleans, Texas Exes. Okay. And he gave me this list about uh, right when Texas got, got into the, to the Sugar Bowl. And he said, do not go to Cafe Dumont uh, for your uh, beignets and coffee. I've always done that. So I've been going to, to New Orleans since I was in my early 20s. I've always done that. Uh, but he's saying not to do that. He's got, let's see, best beignets, according to Joseph. 
And this is the head of the, the New Orleans, Texas X's. Cafe Beignets is number one. The Vintage is number two. And then he said anywhere else is number three. And Cafe Dumont is number 99. So he apparently, who lives there, does not think Cafe Dumont is all that it's cracked up to be. I will say that I love the coffee at Cafe Dumont. It's like that old chicory type coffee that's really, really dark. Uh, it kind of, it, it feels like you're drinking sludge a little bit. And I'm okay with that early in the morning. So <laughs> just so you know, coffee and football as it is. There you go. All right. Well, we're going to get to some more questions here. And uh, let's take this one from Longest Horn. He says, have you all heard anything about Ryan Watts trying out at safety? CJ? Not for this game, I haven't. I've heard Jade Barron has been getting looks at safety uh, more as a, I don't want to say an emergency, but if things get, you know, pretty thin, which they already are, if they get thinner at that safety spot, look for Jade Barron to, to take a couple snaps back there until Derek Williams returns. Next year, Ryan Watts, a move to safety would make sense. Uh, or at least the, a testing out of different spot in the secondary would make sense to me uh, with, Obviously, Terrence Brooks and Malik Muhammad set to be, you know, that guy, those two guys on the outside, in my opinion, a move to safety for next season would make sense to, for me for Ryan Watts, but not for this game. He's he's never – he's repped there only in his freshman year when Ohio State moved him to, from corner to safety. I, I just don't – I don't see that being a possibility. Uh, they are looking for depth at safety right now. I, I'm not – look – I love Ryan Watts and what he can do from a physical standpoint on a big receiver like Roma Dunze at the, at the line of scrimmage. I'm concerned about what happens 15 yards down the field. Yeah. And that, that, that's not going to change necessarily, even if he's a safety. Cause I think Ryan Watts is probably a four, six, four, six, five, 40 yard dash guy. Even though he, he plays corner at a place like Texas, he just doesn't have that true makeup speed. And I think you're going to need that going forward, especially in the SEC, by the way. That's why a Derek Williams, Avery Phils to me, those kind of guys long-term make more sense for Texas. Um, and, and so I don't know I don't know where Watts, if he decides to return, would actually fit next year. Probably more at safety, to CJ's point, than corner. Let's jump over to the other side of the football. Auto Pro says, I think if Jordan Whittington has a great game, it will be a game changer. But let me ask you guys this. How important is it going to be for Whittington to be involved against Washington? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. I, Go for I, it. I'll start, Bobby. I, I've got thoughts because it's 
coming in, you know, you talk about Roma Dunze, you talk about Jalen Polk. Obviously, Jalen McMillan is that third guy. When you think about the third guy for Texas, it's obviously Jordan Whittington. But that third guy, if you're not accounting for him, I mean, it can really, really hurt you defensively. If Texas isn't paying enough attention and kind of veering off to help, you know, on the outsides, you know, it will be McMillan, who has 500 yards receiving this year, who will torch them. And luckily for Texas, Jatavian Sanders is also in that mix. So it is Jordan Winnington who's going to be flying under the radar more so than anybody else. For Texas, I mean, and, and Winnington specifically, we've seen how valuable he can be in a game this year, and we've seen it throughout his career. Obviously, 120 yards, I want to say, against Oklahoma on 10 catches uh, this, this season already. If he is proven to be that guy that Quinn Ewers feels is the guy to go to this game, I'm comfortable with that. He's proven it. We know what he can do with the ball on third down specifically and also after the catch. So I think, you know, if Texas does think, you know, Jordan Winnington is going to be the go-to guy, good luck, you know, because falling asleep on a guy like Xavier Worthy or A.D. Mitchell is not a recipe for success. And I know that after, a, a, you know, snaps and drives of not seeing any action, that's something DBs tend to do, especially when they think that they're having a great game against a great receiver. Well, I, I, I go back to this, you know, um, let, let, let's talk about this. I looked at the Texas-Oklahoma State game, um, and I was I was thinking about this yesterday, actually, what what is or what will be, uh, so to speak, uh, the – you know, X factor, not, yep. and I'm not talking about Xavier worthy, like what can be the X factor. And I go back to Oklahoma state, right? Well, Quinn Ewers, we, we, it's not an X factor. He's a, he's a primary, right? So we've got that. So here are the p- potential X factors, Jordan Whittington, right? He's not a seminal piece of the offense, even though he's a, on the field every time JT Sanders, right? He had a big game against Oklahoma State. Eight catches, 105. Whittington had four for 48. And then the other two guys that aren't talked about a lot that could be those X factors for Texas, Jaden Blue, right? Ten carries against Oklahoma State. And Keelan Robinson. So I don't know if y'all have noticed or not, but Keelan Robinson has become more a part of the offense over the last half of the season than what he was early in the year. Now, perhaps that's because Jonathan Brooks' injury. And, and I get that. I think that's fair because Brooks was so good in the screen game, CJ. Yeah. He he kind of weaved his way through people a little bit better than maybe CJ Baxter or Jaden. Jaden Blue runs by him. Brooks kind of set up his blocks. Uh, Baxter's just that power guy, right, that's looking to combine power and speed and maybe run two guys. I think those two – those are the X factors for Texas, not just Whittington – but Sanders slash Helm at some degree, how did they get him involved? Because they, they're going to run so much 12 personnel. You know that. Uh, and then you add Jaden Blue and Keelan Robinson. Any guy, any of those guys have big games, and that's a check mark, in my opinion. Because you're not – Washington's going to try to make sure Xavier Worthy and Adonai Mitchell don't beat them, in my opinion. Yes. Yeah. And the typical run game doesn't beat them. So who is? Yeah. No, I, I love the the Keelan Robinson pick, Bobby. His last two games, I, I just looked it up. Uh, Texas Tech and Oklahoma State, two two games where the Texas offense really didn't show any signs of slowing down at any point. 
Seven touches, 105 yards, so 15 yards per clip, three offensive touchdowns, and a kick return touchdown. If you talk about effectiveness, that's it. That's Keenan Robinson right there. All right, guys. Well, before we move on here, I'm going to tell everybody out there about Prize Picks. And Prize Picks is a skill based, real money daily fantasy sports game. You simply pick between two to six players, and if they'll go more or less than their Prize Picks projection, it's just you versus the projections available instead of battling thousands of other players out there. It's really simple to play, it takes almost no time. I can submit my picks or make my picks and submit my entry in less than 60 seconds. And what I love about Prize Picks is that it adds a ton of excitement to the sports viewing experience. You can watch your progress update in real time. You can win up to 25 times your entry amount. And then you cash out your winnings with their quick withdrawals. All you have to do is go to prizepicks.com slash on Texas. Use promo code on Texas. And they're going to give you a first deposit match of up to $100. And I'm all over the bowl action on Prize Picks today. I'm selecting Kansas State quarterback Avery Johnson to rush for less than 63 yards. Uh, Kansas State running back DJ Giddens to rush for more than 107. And I'm also taking OU quarterback Jackson Arnold to rush for less than 30 yards. So to join me in those picks, again, you can go to prizepicks.com slash ontexas. Use that promo code, which is on Texas, and they're going to give you a first deposit match of up to $100. And that's prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Who, who I gotta, hey, I got to ask you, Blake, who are your picks to have big games on uh, on Monday for the Longhorns? Oh, man. Talk about prize picks and that kind of stuff. Yeah, is there a guy actually, where you're like, you know, I, look, I was I'll ask y'all. Let's, let's ask this, just theoretically. Quinn Ewers, does he throw for 250-plus in this game? I think he has to for a Texas win. Y'all yep. agree with that? Yes. Yep. Okay. 100%. What, let me ask you a different question. How many yards does Texas have to run for to win? Not just C.J. Baxter or Jaden Blue specifically, but what's the, what's the run game number for Texas? Because last year, I thought that part of the problem for Texas is they couldn't get any run game going against Washington. So it was all on uh, not only Quinn Ewers' right arm, but Xavier Worthy, who was injured and dropped a couple passes. What does Texas have to do in the run game? I think the pass game we know. The run game is kind of that, and eh, what does Texas need to do? What are they going to be able to do against Washington this year? Anybody, either of y'all have a feel for that? I like 160. And they've averaged about 189 this year, which is pretty good. But 160 is if if you get a pedestrian rushing out uh, outcome for Texas's averages in this game, that's something that Washington will have to respect a whole lot. And I also think it'll be a much better showing than last year. Obviously, Christian Jones even said it, Bobby. Uh, last year, coming into the game with no Roshan and Bijan, the offensive line was a little out of funk. You know, they knew it right away. We have to do a little bit more. And as a result, I think they overstepped what they, you know, necessarily needed to do at times. Uh, and obviously, Jonathan Brooks wasn't healthy either. So it's a much different approach this year. And I think the offensive line is in a better mind state coming into this game. But, Blake, let me – I'm sorry I cut you off there. I want to hear what you have too because 160, I feel like, is a pretty solid day on the ground. Yeah, I was actually leaning pretty close to that as well. I was going to say about 140, 150. And I really think you need to see that effort that we saw in the fourth quarter against Alabama. Uh, you know how they did on that final drive. You got to have that through the entire game, uh, and you got to get set that tone early, or it could be a 
a long night <laughs> for sure. They they've got to have success other than just through the air. Yep. That that's that I think that and I think that's the key for both teams on offense. And both teams, frankly, have been able to do that this year. They have. They've been very. Go ahead, CJ. You you know what's interesting, Bobby? Washington's only rushed or averaged five point yard or five point oh yards per carry in one conference game this year. I I, I was looking through that last night. You know, you know, Dylan Johnson has a, a tremendous stat line. Aside from him, and I know he gets the the main bulk of that of those yards. But there, there hasn't been a dominant rushing uh, game for Washington aside from USC, where they averaged almost seven and a half on um, 340 yards per carry. So it's been, you know, an up and down kind of. We we have to force ourselves to do it because otherwise they're just going to drop eight and we don't have anywhere to go with the football. It, it, it's not. It's never been a strength for Washington this year aside from that USC game. So I think that's an interesting point coming in. They've sat right around that high three and a half to three point eight to four point two. That's kind of been where they've averaged rushing attempts or rushing yards per attempt the entire season. You know, I was just looking on Price Picks, Bobby, when you were giving that number about Quinn. Oddly enough, they don't have rushing numbers for Texas. They do almost every other bowl team. Texas and Washington, they do not have rushing numbers for. They do have Quinn at two eighty eight. Mitchell with 63 receiving yards, Sander with 44, Worthy with 72, and Baxter with 16 receiving yards are their numbers that they're projecting for people to pick, you know, more or less. Yeah, it's um, kind of the Vegas line, essentially, yeah. for production. What did they have on Washington? Just go down that mm-hmm. a little bit because I think that's interesting. Let me look here. That's uh, the problem with prize picks because you hear that and you're like, yeah, of course, all of those are going to hit, you yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a reason that that, that the, the house always wins in Vegas, my man. <laughs> All right, so for Washington, they do have uh, Dylan Johnson, the running back. They have 73 yards um, on the ground for him. And then for the receivers, Polk has 53. Westover, their tight end, has 19.5. McMillan has 76.5. Uh, for Penix, they have him at 313 passing yards. Odunze, 99.5. And then um, they also have Penix as two and a half passing and rushing touchdowns. Interesting. Hey, the the, the thing that I would say this, uh, 72 yards for Xavier Worthy would put him over 1,000 for the year. Uh, We need to – I forgot to even mention that. That's uh, that's one of those numbers that's kind of magical to to people. Odunze, with that number, goes over 1,500, by the way. Uh, so that that gives you a sense of how how prodigious he's been uh, this year. Um, you know, I would if if Michael Penix only accounted for three touchdowns on Monday, I'd take that every day of the week if I'm Texas. Because if you're saying the over under is two and a half, I would I would take that right now at three and go home. And yeah. I, if that happens, I think Texas wins. Yeah. Um, that's just my that's just my thought process, man. Yeah, and I was I was watching some film on Penix before we started, and he does such an amazing job of putting the ball where the defender cannot get it. I mean, it's unreal how he can do that. He's you legit. Know? I mean, he's, I was talking to Bob Shipley, uh, and I talked a little bit about him, and he remind he said he reminds him of Ken Stabler. Ooh. That's that was the name for the old guys out there. He's not got the strongest arm. He's got a strong arm, but it's not the strongest. But man, he just that little left-handed loopy throw. 
and it's just right on the money and people are all around him kind of, you know, and, and Rod called it the clutch gene. The kids got the clutch gene. So look, like I, I go back to what we started with today. I'm, I'm excited for this game because it's going to be two good teams and we're going to find out exactly what's going on. Uh, we're going to get to some more questions right here on Coffee and Football, presented by Rick Vavro and Austin Underground. And uh, let's start. You know, we, we talked about predictions as far as the stats go, but Auto Pro wants to know the score predictions. So let's just start <laughs> right there. <laughs> oh, I have not done this yet. We were I, myself, Bob Shipley, and Rod Babers are going to do a prediction show later this week, uh, and I don't mind you know giving it up early because I don't, I think that it's more about talking about it than it is actually the exact score. Um, but I think this is game is going to be in the, the thirties. And I, I think it's going to be something odd, uh, like 33, 29, 33, 30, 34, 30. Um, I I'm picking Texas. Uh, and, uh, I just feel CJ made a good point about the run game. Uh, Texas has to be run the ball better. I think they will run the ball th better this year against Washington than they did a year ago. Um, I, I I just feel like Texas is a little bit of a team of destiny. Not that Washington isn't, um, but they scooted in by the skin of their teeth at the end of the year a little bit too much. Maybe um, I think they 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 ran through some uh, some times. Texas, I think. Uh, as someone said the other day, they're peaking at the right time. Um, and I wish this game would have played, been played the very next week after Oklahoma State because I would have picked Texas by more. Um, now that, that both teams have had a little settling to do, I think it's going to be a back-and-forth affair that's decided in the fourth quarter. CJ? Yeah, no, we've talked – at least I've talked about how quickly Washington starts. Texas is very good at that as well. But for whatever reason, in games like this, I think, you know, it's a slower start. I think it's going to be almost, a, I don't want to call it too conservative because the shots will be there. But I think it's going to be a possession battle in the sense that neither team is going to want to give up what they have on their possession at the time because they want to take a shot down the field to give up a down or, you know, essentially put themselves in harm's way with the football. So I'm looking at a slower start to the game. And then obviously I think it opens up. Uh, like we saw against Alabama on the road in Tuscaloosa this year, where the third quarter was really, all right, like who's getting the next 40-yard reception? You know, the game really opened up in that that kind of sense. I think that will kind of be the same kind of uh, approach to this game, at least that I will have coming into it. Kind of a slow start, and then the second half, we'll really get to see these teams start grinding and going. Uh, I I think if, uh, you know, if, if either team hits 40, that team is winning. First of 40, that team is winning. I don't think a team will hit 40, so I think it'll be in that range of 28-35, you know, around that, that number right there. And I got 37-31 Texas. Woo! <laughs> so That's a trifecta. Yep, we'll, we'll see what happens, guys. <laughs> That's three Texas there, man. That's three. <laughs> All right, we got a couple of super chats we need to get to. This first one from Shannon Hansen. Thank you, Shannon. He says, Cafe Beignets is awesome. Telling you this from overseas, hook them. Well, I'm going to try that out. I'm a, I've got a couple of breakfast meetings uh, there starting tomorrow into the into even Monday. I'm going to I'm going to go check that out. Uh, I'm I'm ready for a little New Orleans food. It's it's been a long time since I've had some real etouffee, 
some real gumbo. So I'm ready for it. And then, Bobby, you got a recommendation here from Jackie McCardle. He says, Bobby, you need to try Parkway Bakery and Tavern in NOLA and grab a po' boy. I am driving. So just so y'all know, I'm driving. So if you have, like, outskirty type places that I need to drive to, hit me up at ontexasfootball at Gmail. I have no problem going and doing that. So, yeah, please. <laughs> I'll have to get you a list going for sure. Uh, then we got another super chat from the ambassador of Texas. Thank you, ambassador. And he says, the true X factor for Texas, this team knows they are better than the opponent and has the culture to prove it on the field. F around and find out. Let's, let's hope. Man, I want this bad. I, I think Texas fans want it bad. I think, you know, we could talk about it until we're blue in the face, but the Longhorn basketball team had a chance to play in the final four in Houston this past year and injuries just caught up to them in, in that, that elite eight game, in my opinion, Texas has a chance to play in the national championship game in Houston, where, you know, there's going to be a huge home field advantage potentially if Texas can get there. I mean, I, I just telling you rare, wild, rare things can happen in a year when we didn't expect it to necessarily be this great. Uh, that's why, I mean, there's just so much on the line on, on Monday. So much. All right, guys, this next one here is from Doug and he says, Bobby teams tend to pick us apart across the middle. Do you think Sark will run more zone zone drops and make Washington try to stretch the field? It's what they did last year. I mean, right. CJ, that's exactly what PK did. He kept everything in front of him. Um, you, CJ, you take that one because I, I think part of the reason Texas gets beat over the middle is their safeties are scared of getting beat over the top because they don't have makeup speed. Um, you know, that that's that's my biggest take on it. CJ, how do you think they counteract that this year? More of the same as last year? Yeah, I think it's a very similar approach. And I, I mean, the, the approach to last year's game, in my opinion, worked out defensively. You know, you held Washington well well under their their averages, both scoring and uh Yard, yardage totals. One thing I think that is interesting is when you go back and watch that game, the Texas look defensively pre-snap was a little unique. You know, that necessarily wasn't something that we saw the entire season. And obviously we're seeing teams now implement the three high, you know, the, the flyover football approach to uh, the Texas offenses. I think Texas showed a little bit of that last year, almost by, you know, kind of, you know, trial and error because it was still that that base quarters coverage that we saw throughout the season. And I've seen this year as well, but the alignment was much different than what we've seen in any other game uh, so far this year and even dating back to last year as well. So there's going to be some a, a little toying of that this year, uh, this this Monday, in my opinion. It'll be interesting to see just how they adjust and tweak it to throw off Michael Penix. I got this next quote. Oh, Bobby, real quick. I got another one for you to write down from Cody Pack. He says, you need to check out the joint barbecue in New Orleans. The owner learned to cook barbecue in Austin a while ago, then opened his own place in New Orleans. Good folks there. So you have to check out that recommendation. Man, uh, here we New go. Orleans, got, oh, New go Orleans, if you just go to New Orleans, you can just go to New Orleans and do food yeah. for a week. I don't know. I mean, it, it is one of the few places. Like, I, I'm not big on these, like, I can't go to do a bunch of shishi dinners like in New York or LA and go, I, mean, I can't do that. That's just not who I am, but greasy spoons 
three three times a day. You know what I mean? I, I'm okay with those. And New Orleans has those authentic local spots as well or better than any place in the world. Man, I've I've been I've been to all, all over the United States, obviously, but it's uh it's just something else as far as they're cooking. This I love the spice, the uh the way they cook, etc. It's just like a fusion of the entire world erupts there almost. It's really a cool town. Hey, Bobby, before we move on, I'm going to let you tell everybody out there about Austin Underground one more time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Austin Underground is led by Rick Vavro and his team. Uh, UT grad Rick is an uh, engineering engineer. Six, 2004, Austin Underground has specialized in difficult underground commercial installations. The team's engineering background gives Austin Underground the ability to perform work other firms off, often consider too risky. Rick Tony and his team uh, offer an end-to-end client experience, including seamless communication, budgeting, staffing, and top-notch trade partners. And most importantly, they produce solid quality work each and every time. That's Austin Underground if you're looking for underground commercial installations near you. Okay, we got time for some more questions here. And this has actually been one that's asked a few times today. And hopefully one of y'all have the answer. Ski Breck says, are they using the headsets in the Sugar Bowl? And if so, how does it affect Sark and his ability to manage the game? I haven't been told they're using those. They're, they, they're trying them in a couple different bowl games, but I haven't heard that they're doing that in the Sugar Bowl. Is that, CJ, have you heard separately from that? I've not. I'll check in. Uh, but that's not been something I've heard. I actually wasn't aware of it until yesterday when I heard that uh, a few of these teams were were looking to do that. And I think it was the West Virginia North Carolina game. They really made an emphasis on it. And uh, I mean, I love it. I think it's it's easy to to point it out, and you know, it just makes sense. Yeah, it, I mean, why would you? It's like Sark was saying. Why would you spend time on an assistant sitting there signaling in plays where that's all he does on game days when he could actually instead be coaching the players, you know, and make a better product. Instead, they're having to, that's one of the things that you have technology for is so that you don't have to, so that you can deploy human capital better. Right. Um, so I, I think that's the future, but I don't think it's happening in this game. If I'm wrong, I'll come back on tomorrow. I'll, I'll double check uh, that tonight. All right. Actually, the NC, NCAA approved use of in-helmet communication this year for bowl games, not part of the college football playoffs. Oh. There you go. And mutual consent of both teams is required for those games as well. So you will not see it in the college football playoffs. So Brent, but, but Brent Venables, who likes to steal signals, clearly did not allow that for his game. Yeah, or will not. <laughs> yeah. I did did we get an update on the bowl outcomes and the records for teams yesterday? I, I, know, I know that the Big 12 remains undefeated. Uh both I think West Virginia. Four and one. Yeah. What now? Did they? I thought they were four and one for some reason, or three and one. I don't think they've. I don't think the Big Twelve has lost yet. Have they? I'm Texas looking. Tech won, West Virginia won, Oklahoma State won. I feel like I'm missing one. No, yeah, they are four and one. Um, I'm looking here. Someone's probably going to get it in the chat before I can find it. Uh, but hang on, Bobby. I'm going to bring. This I think up they're four and zero. I think you're looking at last year's number. Let me see. Yesterday, they were 2-0 and going into yesterday. West Virginia won and Oklahoma State. UCF lost. Oh, UCF. Well, that's why. I, <laughs> never mind. Go, I, wonder, Bobby, I, wonder right here. 
I wasn't counting them as a Big 12 team. That's probably my my fault. So the Big 12 at 4-1. and one. The SEC has only played one game thus far. That's 0-1. Pac-12 at 2-2. Two and two. Man, the whole fun belt got in, huh? Goodness. <laughs> five and seven? That's Are ridiculous. you serious? They were five and seven in bowl games this year? That's that, that's, that's incredible. Mm. That's incredible. Big 10 looks good so far. Uh, Big 12 looks good so far. Pac-12 and ACC kind of split down the middle there. And who's that one SEC lost body? Uh, yeah. It's uh, it's the future Mike Elko's. You know, I, I I go back to that game and I watched that. that I just I was unimpressed. I, I thought their young DBs would do more. I you know I thought Bravion Rogers was going to be a real guy. Um, what games are tonight? By the way, do we know? Do we have the game schedule for tonight? Yeah, give me one second there, Bob. Bobby putting me on the spot here, but I got you covered. Don't worry. Uh, we're going to share this tab instead. And there you go. Oh, look at that. That's today. We got Boston college versus SMU. Hey, that, that comes on in like an hour. Yep. We got a full slate today, fellas. <laughs> would, would that, would that make SMU an 11 win team? If they take down Boston college, CJ, it would. And I think the last three wins would come all with the backup freshman quarterback. And that's, and that is who is that stone or is that, Kevin Jennings out of uh, South Oak Cliff. Okay. Preston Stone broke his leg uh, heading in, I think, the week leading into uh, the American Conference Championship game. And then Jennings stepped in, won the championship game, and then, you know, really put up some good points. So that that team is rolling. That program is rolling. So K-State, NC State this afternoon in the Pop-Tarts Bowl. I got to love that one. That one's for my 17-year-old kid that still eats pop <laughs> And then there's Arizona at uh, – or Arizona-Oklahoma in the Alamo Bowl at, uh, at 7.30, 8, 8, 8 o'clock tonight. I'm excited for that one. So, all those on ESPN, by the way, today. I wonder what kind of offense uh, Oklahoma's going to run without Jeff Levy and without Dylan Gabriel, you know? I think you'll uh, see a lot of running from uh, Arnold. From Jackson Arnold? Yep. I think early on in the season, he was kind of – they kind of plugged and played him a little bit, you know, early in the year just to give him the feel of the football. But very rarely did you see him drop back, you know, traditionally for a pass. He was often that guy who, you know, they 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 brought him in for a third and three and let him just kind of pound it th- twice and move the chains, come off the field. So uh, when he's on the field, he runs a lot. He's a great athlete. Obviously, the, I think the thing for him coming out of college was the touch that he had on – a lot of his throws, but the athleticism is something that is a lot is very, very much underrated uh, in my in my uh, opinion about Jackson Arnold. So he'll be running the ball a lot tonight, in my opinion. Hey, real quick, while we're on the subject about you, did y'all see Brett Venables' comment about how Arizona is probably the best team that they're going to face all season? <laughs> I, you know, look, whatever. <laughs> I had to get Bobby going once this morning. <laughs> no, I mean, whatever. I mean, look, you know, I I think that Venables, he's, I, he had a good recruiting class, and I think that they, their best recruiting job this year, though, was getting the linebackers to come back, uh, the safety to come back. You, you know what I mean? Um, now, they've got real issues on the offensive line, repairing there, but Beedenbaugh, 
their long-term offensive line coach is going to do a good job. He's going to find some people. Um, but I don't see them as being, I, I, I don't know. I think they're going to be another year away. Yeah. I got to definitely get that O-line in shape though, since they lost every starter. All right, yeah. guys, we got a couple more uh, super chats here from this first one from B Brown. He says the 07 offense versus the 2023 offense, who had the better units at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and O-line. We'll take them one by one. Let's start with quarterback Colt McCoy. Well, Quinn yours. Yeah, but that was a sophomore Colt McCoy. I think he means 2008. Yeah, well, Early. if it's 2008, I would take the 2008 offense. Um, I would because they were just on a roll. Uh, not at, not necessarily at, uh, you know, yeah. I would I would take I would take the 2008 offense overall. RB room it, with Jonathan Brooks, I would have given it to the to the 2023 group receiver core. Hmm. It's tighter than you think, even though it was Shipley and Cosby, um, Mitchell and, and Worthy and Whittington, uh, as well as, uh, you know, even though they had Jermichael Finley, I think, in 08. Um, O-line was is definitely the, the 2023 unit. I That's that's closer than you might think, guys. It's close. If it, it, I just I do think that Colt in 08 should have won the Heisman. Um over Bradford in some ways. So it's hard to take that away from him. He had just one of those years where that I mean, it was just ungodly. Um, 45-35. That's all I yeah. remember. Yeah, exactly. 45-35. I, I, I just feel like that's that's a good a good question. I would probably go with, uh, with the 2008 offense because I do think Colt was just special that year. Yeah. <laughs> this one made me laugh. Travis Acton said, I heard someone that was a Washington fan say that they're like 2019 LSU. I about spit out my coffee. What do y'all think? No. That it is a record, an NFL draft record that year <laughs> with what, 14, I think, coming out. 12 of those earned a, a starting job the first year. There, that, there's I mean, no comparison. That, that weapon, the offensive weapon group is, is amongst the best we'll ever see. When you talk about Joe Burrow, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, uh, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and then Terrace Marshall, who was a five-star coming out of high school, was the third guy there. So I I don't know. They're pretty good. Thaddeus Moss at tight end as well. I mean, I, Washington's good. They're 13-0. They're putting up good numbers. They're not LSU from 2019, no. No, not at all. All right, Bobby, get ready for another recommendation. This super chat from Major Alexander. He says, go to – Dragos, Dragos, I'm not sure. By the shopping center and get the grilled oilers. I'm gonna end up being 300 pounds before y'all get. <laughs> I, I have no problem taking recommendations. I really don't. I love this stuff. There's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of downtime when you go and cover a bowl, by the way, guys, because there's only one practice a day. Um, the players have to go be at some fundraiser for you know whatever. There's only so many. Uh, uh, press conferences you can have. And so a lot of it is just literally loitering around the city. Right. And uh, I hope that uh, I hope that uh, I see some of you guys out there. Uh, don't forget. I want to mention this before we get going today. Uh, we have that tailgate experience. Uh, it's at Manning's in new Orleans. That's Archie Manning's place. Uh, Caesars entertainment runs it uh, from 10 AM to 10 PM. Uh, all you have to do is buy a general admission ticket, CJ and I, as well as Aaron Hogan. 
Uh, we're all going to be there uh, delivering news and information all day long, uh, live uh, on uh, on Texas football. Uh, I'm also going to be there. You'll you get free. Uh, you get food with that, and then free non-alcoholic beverages uh, with a regular uh, admission ticket. I think it's a hundred dollars for a regular admission ticket to this party, but fifty of it goes directly to the Texas One Fund. Uh, go to TexasSugarBowl.Party for details. Again, we'll be there. Uh, there'll, there'll be some former players there as well coming in and out. There also might be some other surprise guest uh, uh, appearances uh, through the week or through the day, excuse me, on Monday. Uh, but they have over 100 TVs at Manning's. Uh, you're going to be able to watch every single game you want to watch. Uh, be with a lot of Longhorn fans. Join us if you can. I think they're running out of tickets right now. So if, if you're going... You're going to want to go ahead and get it get it uh, done sooner rather than later. Be sure to check that out. And, uh, hey, guys, Coach Sark just uh, posted this on Twitter here. I want to share this with y'all. He says, all gas, no brakes, and then passion, devoting yourself to a goal through rel- relentless commitment and dedication. Kobe. Kobe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A uh, little, you can't, he can't, you can't take the, the Southern California out of, out of Sark there. That obviously a reference to Kobe Bryant. Yeah. All right. We're going to, this will be the last question for today. And this one from Bobby TD Brown. He says, who do y'all have in the Rose and the Alamobo? Alamobo, obviously Arizona and Oklahoma starting tonight around seven 30. So we'll start with that one. Who's y'all's pick? I've got Arizona in a blowout three touchdowns. They, they've got all their guys. Jackson Arnold's not going to do it. Oklahoma run game will be minimum, minimal. Um, uh, the Rose Bowl is a little bit different. I, I'm i going to take Alabama uh, by one score, and it's going to be something like 20 to 17. That's what I've got. I like what do you, what do you think? Yeah, I like both of those. I uh, Arizona is actually the first uh, wager I placed when Bulls were announced just because – I liked, I liked how much they they were going to come into this game thinking how much it would matter to them. Uh, obviously, Oklahoma is you know a, a very prideful program, but they're obviously losing sixteen guys to the portal already. Quarterbacks gone, play callers gone. Uh, it's one of those things. You're trying out a freshman quarterback starting for the first time. I think Arizona is the team coming in that is favored and should be favored by a little bit more. I like them to win. I'm with you. I think Michigan actually smacks Alabama early. Uh, I think it's one of those things. The power running game for Michigan is something that you don't often see anymore. And when you haven't seen that anymore and it's after a month off, it's one of those things that will hit you like a ton of bricks. So I like Michigan come out starting hot early in that game. But I think Alabama is just a little bit too dynamic offensively to, to stay behind. I like Milrow and that, that team coming back from behind and winning uh, by a score or two. Hey, that would be a repeat. That'd be a repeat uh, for instead of Tuscaloosa, it'd be Houston if Texas plays Alabama. Blake, what did you have on those two games? Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Arizona and Alabama, although I think Alabama wins by about 8 to 10, and then I got Arizona by about 10 to 14. All right. Three touchdowns, Arizona. That's my my bet. I don't bet, but that that would be it if it were. (laughs) That's your pick. Hey, Bobby, real quick before we get out of here, Zane Petty has a question about Mannings. He said, I'm taking my daughter. Can she get into Mannings at 18 years old? I don't know if it's 21 and up. Do you know that by any chance? I, I don't know that by chance. I know there are a bunch of kids that are going, though, like, like that are 12 and up. 
that have, oh, that so have, there you go. So I think, but you need to, guys, I can't promise. I don't know everything about this party. I'm, I'm, I'm part of the entertainment. If that makes sense, believe it or not. Um, what I would say is go to their website and make sure you read all the, the, the details, uh, please first. Texas Sugar Bowl dot party. Uh, they're, they're literally, I think there's over 1500 Longhorn fans already signed up to go through various different websites, et, et cetera. It should be a, a really cool experience to kind of take over New Orleans. For sure. Going to be a fun time. No doubt about it. So be sure to check that out. Hang out with Bobby and crew. And uh, guys, we want to thank everybody for tuning in. We got to thank Rick Bobro and Austin Underground, along with Prize Fix for being the sponsors of today's show. And thanks for all the questions, the super chats. And we'll be back same place, same time tomorrow. Of course, Bobby and CJ, I know you guys will be probably <laughs> in a different location, different background, as Bobby said earlier. But we will be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock right here on On Texas Football. So for CJ and Bobby, I'm Mike Monroe, and we'll see you next time. Hook up. Off to New Orleans, baby. <laughs>